welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at lexi at backpocketsocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. All right, welcome back to the Farming on Purpose podcast. I am very honored today to be joined by DL. DL and I first encountered each other on TikTok thanks to a little conversation we started about bottle calves. And as I've watched DL explain more about his journey to farming on TikTok, I've been so intrigued to hear more about the story and share it with you guys. So I'm gonna let you introduce yourself, DL, and tell us more about how you got started and what you do today. Well, thank you so much, Lexi. It's a pleasure to be here. So my history, I'm gonna go back way back. Uh, both my parents came to Poland and they moved to the Linden, Washington area. So I grew up on a dairy farm, about 40 cows. I went to Linden Christian, you know, just did the whole Dutch dairy thing. The way the family went, I did not go back to the family farm. I ran other dairies, I tried things. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to farm, but it always had to be big, you know. Um, I couldn't start farming until I could really hit one out of the park. And over the years, uh, this turned into a lot of, of unsuccesses. And around 2008, when uh, the financial crisis happened, things like that, we found ourselves in a position where we went from uh, from running 400 head on a credit line in the feedlot, and we pretty much lost all that. And in order to keep farming, you know, my wife and I, my wife Randy and I looked at each other and we said, you know, we want to keep farming. This isn't working. And so we literally borrowed five calf hutches from a friend. Another friend financed us on five bull calves, financed us, they were 40 bucks a piece. And, you know, we had to go out and buy calf milk. And so there I was with my, with my six-year-old son and my eight-year-old daughter. And I was, my whole life had been too good to raise calves. And there I was, we started raising calves. 
and and I realized I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. You know, once I got away from what I thought I needed to be successful, I just realized I just loved working with the calves, turning some calves around. So then over the course of the last 13, 14 years, you know, we went from five calves to 10 to 15 to 20. And I actually, I worked out a deal with a local sale yard. I got a little credit line to buy and sell some, some cutting bowls. And we just started those building blocks and I was working full time. And we had a mountain of debt to clean up, and we're still cleaning that up. So we, we should have been able to grow our farm faster, but we were shackled by all this debt because we opted not to declare bankruptcy at that time. And over the years, we built it and built it. And about three, four years ago, my kids were off to college, and I was working full-time. I actually gave up the hutch calves. And just, we went with stalker calves and basically whatever I could buy and sell. And now we're up to, right now we're feeding 100 head of our own and we're custom feeding 50 head. And I've serviced four breweries. I get the brewer's grain and we've got a Kenworth roll-off truck that we do for that. And I haul totes and we have three or four pastures and we're renting other pastures and one of our i I guess i feel like i'm rambling now no you're good you're good it's good to have that background and i love how transparent you are with you know exactly what you guys did to get to the point that you're at and how that went so tell me a little bit more about um just for reference we have listeners that are you know nationwide and in canada too where are you guys located and you mentioned getting brewers grain i'm guessing that um is specific to where you guys are located a little bit because we don't have that necessarily here right so so we live about 40 miles south of vancouver bc and 15 miles from bellingham washington and bellingham is a hotbed of breweries in seattle bellingham portland this thing is just exploding so there's probably 15 20 little breweries in bellingham i take care of four it's taken me eight years to build that up and but one of the one of the things I feel, and, and when I get into my coaching, I want to talk about competitive advantage. Now, you guys there in Kansas have a, a, a lot more competitive advantage because there's more cattle infrastructure, there's more feed, there's you know there's more sale barns, there, there's a lot more activity built in the cattle industry. There really isn't a cattle industry here per se. You know, there, there's not a single salesman on the western side of Washington that services the beef industry. It, it is a, you know, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants. But on the other hand, we have some of these, you know, a market uh, where we're ahead of the game is like brewer's grain and also locker beef. Um, I'm working with a, a, the guy I'm custom feeding for. He sells 160 head a year of locker beef and he's really got something going on. I have not been able to find that success. You know, I I do about 20 a year, and I have struggled to keep those customers. And this kid just, you know, so one of the things you want to do when you start to farm 
is sometimes, you know, whether you're farming, growing peppers or, or whatever, sometimes you've got to find somebody else to, to partner with and use them to do your marketing or, or whatever you're doing. And so I, I saw a young guy on TikTok yesterday, and he's he had a video of his 22 head of, of calves he was bringing to a sale. And I'm like, there's a guy that needs to go shake the hand of the buyer and just, hey, I appreciate what you did and have a little conversation with them because that's where you're going to build your business. You know, that buyer might say, hey, could you back around 40 head for me? Could you back around 60 head for me? But competitive advantage is very important to me and we have to attack that. Now here we have no corn stalks because it's flipping muddy all the time. <laughs> so you guys in Kansas and, and, and the Dakotas, you have corn stalks and, and things like that that we don't have, but we have brewer's grain. So you get a little bit more for your calves, but it's a lot harder for you to find locker beef customers. Because let's face it, if you're out in, in the middle of Kansas, you're related to somebody that's got some beef cattle. You, yes. <laughs> you know. So, so one of our competitive advantages is the ability to find some different byproducts. And the, the microbreweries are too small for a dairy. Okay. You know, those dairy, they want stuff by the semi. So Molson and around here, a lot of the dairymen, they get big semi loads from the Molson breweries up in Canada. You know, and they're like Budweiser. You know, a guy like me, I, I, I would be drowning in, in brewer's grain. So I developed this. It's a great product. I've done a couple of TikToks on it. And that's one of the things that's allowed me to to finally go on my own here in the last year and quit my full-time job and farm full-time. Well, that's great. Um, is it pretty comparable nutrition-wise? I, I would assume it's very similar to, like, dried distiller's grain is what we have here from the ethanol plants. Is it similar or is it different? It's, it's going to be similar to that, but it's a wet product. Okay. So I'm dumping it and then I've got to feed it within a couple of days or it starts going bad. Gotcha. So shelf life on it is terrible as, as opposed to a DDG, which, you know, they dry it out. And so I, I keep restacking it and working on the spoilage. I, I've done, done a good job there. Now, one of the problems with brewer's grain is when do people drink the most beer? The summertime. Okay. And when do people not need byproducts? <laughs> True. In the summertime. True. Right? Because we have pasture. So I have to run a little little dry lot to in order to, to eat the all this brewer's grain. Okay. And yeah, so it gets a little spotty around the holidays and we just, you know, we have to fill in the fill in the uh, the spots. Well, that's very interesting. Um, that's not anything I've ever heard of or would have ever thought of to get in touch with the local breweries to try to get that byproduct. So that when you talk about competitive advantage, and maybe that's common practice for you guys there to do that, but that's pretty um, unique line of thinking. I, I feel like that people can try to form those relationships to, to get a feed stuff that they might not otherwise get access to. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about competitive advantage. You have to look out 
I, I feel that the, the dairy industry is more of an entrepreneurial business. You can go borrow a million dollars and jump in the dairy industry and create income. And I feel that the beef industry is more of a byproducts industry and more of a savers industry. So what is a byproduct in your area? Well, there's, you know, ditch banks and corners and land that's not under irrigation. Uh, there's, you know, ends of stacks, things like that. One thing we get here, we can, with rotational grazing, we can pasture an animal unit on about one acre a year because we get so much rain. Mm. I mean, we get this beautiful lush pastures and, and we get, the dairymen here get five or six cuttings of grass. So without irrigation, you can still get three cuttings of hay. So your hay quality is tremendous, but we have to wrap the round bales. So out of the three or four cuttings we get, we'll have to wrap, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of them because you can't get the hay dry quick enough. And uh, so one thing we also have up here, uh, your, your dairy bull calves are a byproduct, mm -hmm. something nobody really wants. Now Simplot has stepped in, and they're doing this Charlay you know, if you breed your cows to Charlay, they're trying to integrate the dairy industry, bull calves, kind of make it like chicken or pork, to where they have these thousands of calves coming in every day that, you know, now they have a steady supply, almost like pork or, or uh, chickens. So the beef farmers had the advantage over the years, the small guy, because it was hard to integrate. But as time goes on, those, you know, the JBSs and Swifts and then Simplots of the world, they're going to try to figure out how to, but, but there's always going to be mismanaged cattle coming in and out of the sale yard. And that's where a small operator can, can really thrive. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all, we've all gone by a pasture where there's, you know, 40 head of lush cow-calf pairs, and there's three Holstein crosses out there that are skin and bones because they're, they got the biggest calves. And, you know, so, and this is, I'll quote Alan Nation quite a few times, former editor of, of the Stockman Grass Farmer who unfortunately just passed away, but he always talked about buying thin cows as a way to start farming. Mm. you got to be healthy, but if you can find a thin cow and just put a cover of, of, of uh, flesh on her, you don't have to make her fat, you don't have to turn her into a number one, but you can put a quick 300 pounds on the American beef cow because they're genetically predisposed for uh, compensatory gain. Yeah. So. Well, I think... Um, there you go. The competitive advantage piece is, I mean, that's where small farmers have to start. We don't have an option, right? You have to figure out what your advantage is or that you're not going to be able to ever make progress in farming with such, you know, we all know slim profit margins. That's, that's just how it is. Um, and this is a little off topic, but I just, it's so interesting to hear you talk about the beef industry there um, and how different it is. I, f I often forget. Um, I don't travel a lot. I don't get out a lot, but um just how different agriculture is across the nation. It's just crazy to think about how, you know, it's, it's so 
unique to where you're specifically li- living at. And it's just, it's just amazing to me. I, I'm in awe of all, how differently people do things and make things work in their own area. But yeah. um, back to the bottle calves, you, I know you've talked about kind of your guys' strategy when you were growing. Tell me a little bit more about what you guys, how you guys figured out how to make that work and expand from just those first five that you got. Well, it wasn't easy, but one of the benefits of bottle calves, Lexi, is that you can self-finance those. I mean, so I I would work part-time driving truck, and anytime I made overtime on the weekends, we tried to put that all into calves. And so if you had a, a, a good day of overtime, you could you could buy a calf, a bag of milk, and you, you could expand the expand your little herd. Mm-hmm. And so our numbers that worked best for us was if we could do 10 a month, we had 20 hutches, and here's what the small guy needs to know. At, at, at 20 hutch calves, you can manage that with a five-gallon bucket and a wheelbarrow. Yeah. You know, one bale of straw, and, you know, you can haul your calves, you know, in the back of the pickup or with a small trailer, and then you can wean 10 calves, and literally you can have a little 40-calf operation on a three- or four-acre you know, a little farm at ranch at. That's what we did. We had five acres downtown Everson, and uh, it was a development. So I, I bought it for development, and when the economy went bad, we couldn't, our credit got bad, we couldn't find anybody to finance us on the development. So we just dove into calves. And literally, we were going to the, to the bakery outlet and buying the day old bread. And they called it pig feed, and we could buy about a 200-pound rack of bread for, I think at that time was $10. And sometimes after Thanksgiving, it was free. So that's what my kids talk about. They would have to do an 18-gallon tote of bread. They would have to open bread and donuts, you know, this food that's not good for you. And so we were, you know, we were raising baby calves, and we were... You know, we were scamming and scheming everything we could. So, yeah, when you're down there getting bakery waste and making your kids cut the hostess pies to feed the calves, you know, you you know you're you're scraping anything you can. And still to this day, whenever I'm in Tractor Supply or Coastal Ranch, I walk around and see what's got yellow tags on it. You know, and I'm buying if they have wind and rain. A mineral on sale in the summertime because nobody needs it I'm buying it I, yeah. I'm that guy and it was the funnest journey and we went from a real consumer family with lots of car payments and and we were going on vacation I put it on credit cards and now we entertain at home and we've completely changed how we want to retire so there, I'm a little off topic. No, that's okay. That leads in perfectly. So tell me more about kind of what that transition was like from going from that more consumer-based mindset, as you said, to to shifting gears. What what caused that? What did it? What was it like to go through that? Okay, so we 
you know, we we were go go go, right? We had the, the RV payments, we had the car payments. Um, you know, we're buying and selling real estate. We're going to the steakhouse, going on vacations. And one day we woke up, and that party was over. And, and so then we looked at each other, and it's like, well, what's important? What's important to us? And it, it's like spending time with our friends. So we, I started making homemade pizza. Google the recipe. We would have homemade pizza night. People would come over. And, and that's how we started saving money. And so then my wife and I, we wrote down, and, and she was big into this, right? I do the talking. She does the listening. <laughs> but I, when we vacation, where do we have the most fun? And we realized, like, the state high school basketball tournament and going to our daughter's state fast pitch, we really enjoyed that just as much or more than we did going to Maui or Cabo or one of those places. And so we, and, and then you start realizing, well, what's important to you? And, and I'm like, we have these huge car payments and we're really not car people. Mm. You know, what, what are we doing with these cars? You know, we, but we got caught up and that's what you were supposed to do. Yeah. And so, you know, and that led to what do we want to do when we retire? Obviously, a, a fancy house and a fancy motorhome. You know, of course, we all want that. But are, are we doing that at the sacrifice of family time and stress? And so I don't handle stress well, you know, and so that led to. You know, now I'm going back, but I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic, but I had alcohol issues. Mm -hmm. And if you watch TikTok, you see a lot of farmers that are, you know, openly, you know, it's bush like this and that. And uh, I wouldn't say I I was never violent, but I had some anger issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I probably wasn't a, I probably didn't need to go to gamblers anonymous but I had some gambling issues and then when we started up kids I'm like well gambling is bad so then I, I went the other way and went with a borrowed money and so technically socially it's a lot more acceptable to have a hundred thousand dollar credit line to be buying cattle at the sale bar but if you don't have an outdate for that what are you doing you're just gambling Mm. So all these stressors, and we realize we, you know, you've heard the saying: spending money you don't have to buy stuff you don't need to impress people that really don't care. Mm. You know, and if you've been at, at a church family, school family, or even your own family, when they see you, if they haven't seen you for six months, they don't ask how much money you're making. They just how are you? How are your kids? How wonderful is your health good? You know, so all this happened to me way before I turned 55 and started looking at health and nutrition issues. So one of my TikToks, I'm looking at nutrition, Lexi, I, I, you know, but, but that all plays into it. And yeah. I, I think stress is probably one of the biggest killers that, that we have in the ag industry and what causes the stress. Well, I think Usually, you said it perfectly there that 
the uh, it's more socially acceptable to go get a note to buy cows, but there's a lot of people say that say that you know farmers have to be good gamblers. Well, that's why is because we we look at it that way, and that's yeah. not always a helpful way to look at it for everybody. Yeah, and one of my favorite books is by Gordon Hazard, and he's he's a a pasture guru out of Mississippi, and one of his quotes is, the size of the heart attack is usually equal to the size of the debt owed to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very good point. Yeah, it really is. Well, and I think, you know, that description for you guys, maybe it was switching out of that consumer mindset into knowing what your priorities are. But I think the same goes for a lot of us in ag who are taking on that it's business debt but it's still debt for things that we may or may not really need to be profitable you know when we think about expensive equipment or redoing fence or to be better but does it help you make more money or does it help you you know have a better work-life balance i don't know you gotta i think that that point that i've heard you talk about before about knowing what's important to you and and knowing what success means to you kind of leading into that um it's so important for any of the purchasing decisions you make it has to guide everything yeah well i i definitely make better buying decisions when i don't have money for money (laughs) (laughs) that's why they like to give you casino chips that's why they like to give you a credit card we just went through and this is why i was late for this interview i'm fixing a pump in the well house and I sent my daughter in to get a pump because I was working at the sale barn and she come back and it was it was a thousand dollars and we're like we can't afford that and the only reason we couldn't afford it is I didn't have a charge account at that implement dealership mm-hmm. so you know I went this morning and I ran into Bellingham and I I, I found a pump for three hundred and some dollars why? Because I didn't have a charge account. If I had had the charge account, it would have been so easy. Hey, we'll worry about that next month. Just do it. Yeah. And same thing buying cattle. When you've got a credit line for 100000 it takes a tremendous amount of discipline to use it wisely. Mm. Whereas if, if you've got $3,000 to spend or if you've got $500 to spend, you're a lot more careful. Yeah. And, and you still screw up. Very true. So. Very true. Well, you've talked a little bit about your family being involved all the way back to, you know, the bottle calves when you said your, your son was six. Um, and now your kids are post-college, in college? Uh, my daughter's out of college, and my boy's actually a cheerleader at Gonzaga. So if you watch NCAA, he's the cheerleader with the black back. He's a cheerleader with the black armbands, Lexi. So, All right. You know, when you're watching Kansas lose, I don't know if you're a Jayhawk or <sighs> a, a, a Wildcat, but when you're watching them lose to Gonzaga, my kid's the one with the black armbands. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, a little dad brag there. Yes, you have to get those in where you can. But tell me, um, are they involved at all with the farming today? What's that look like for you guys? 
they're involved a little. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell neither neither one of them has the passion I had. I was the 4-H FFA kid. I, in fact, I'm renting a farm for my old 4-H leader, and I always kid him that I, I still haven't quit 4-H. <laughs> so he's 71, and, and I'm 55, and we still drink coffee together every day. He's a good friend of mine, and I just kind of giggle, yep, I'm the one kid you could never kick out of, <laughs> out of the 4-H club. Here I am. It's amazing how impactful those relationships are, though, and very long-lasting, as it sounds <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, so so let's talk about something off topic. Uh, I love FFA. Okay. And I just went to nationals for the fourth time because my boy was an American farmer. And I think it was you that posted asking if there was not as many American farmers this year. And I got to say, it looked really healthy there. Good. I thought... Yeah, I thought there was about 4,000 American farmers. I saw a lot of kids excited to be there. Uh, our school had four girls there for farm farm business management. Not a one of them lives on a dairy, you know, but but one dad works at a dairy, one mom is a an accountant, and they have a 20-acre raspberry farm. And another one, a grandparent had a dairy. So those dairy industry runs deep here. But I, 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 I'm pretty excited about the FFA program yet. So I hadn't been to nationals for 30-some years, and it was just as exciting as when I went there. Well, good. That's great to hear. And I, I'm so glad to hear it looked like there was a lot of folks getting their American degree. I think uh, it's been a while, so don't quote me on this statistic, but I think it it used to be about 2% of FFA members got their American degree. And it, uh, it had. I had heard that that state degree applications were down um, over the last couple of years, but I don't know. I don't know if that's true. That's one of those things you kind of hear through the grapevine, um, and you don't know if there's an, anything to it. I don't know how much of that was caused by COVID. Yeah, that could be too. That's very good point. But I think a National FFA program is a great program, and anything that gets kids to think about from a young age, what that might look like if they want to do it as a business is going to be a powerful tool. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the market steers, market hog stuff, there's a lot of, you know, people will say there's a lot of money there. It's not fair. Whatever your take is, any, any kid that's ever showed a hog, sheep, especially a steer they're never going to forget that they're they're going to know a lot more about where their food comes from and they're going to respect that farmer i don't care you know whether you're a spoiled kid and someone handed you a steer when you walked in the ring you're still going to respect that farmer and that food producer so that part's wonderful but the business is changing it's, it's just changing so much, and there's there's not much you can do about it except embrace it and look for. As a small guy, you can you can change what you're doing. You can see trends so much faster than a than a, a large producer. Very so true. Like this this grass fed beef deal. 
it's almost impossible for a really large person not large physically a really large rancher to market that many cattle under the grass spread label but for a small farmer it's a great opportunity Mm -hmm. so between rotational grazing and stuff like that there's there's an opportunity there so what are some of those trends that you think have been the most like stood out the most to you since you got started to now now this is just me but one of my biggest profit centers has been supporting the horse industry with cattle so i rent cattle out for horse events probably 10 to 12 times a year and that's one of my biggest money makers so there's more and more people want to they want to have experiences mm-hmm. so they want to you know they want to go chase cows they want to go to a brewery um, I know Caroline is talking about having a ranch woman's retreat I see these people going to the national finals rodeo that they are all at no cattle right the friends that I have that go to the NFR they don't own a single cow or a horse they live in town they get duded up they go to the NFR so you know there is there's a so much potential there of, of not only providing somebody with meat but providing somebody with experiences mm-hmm. so I have a niece she is on uh, Instagram and she's up in Libby Montana and this girl was a wing nut right and you know anti uh, you know anti-vaxxer you know, this and that but she has people flying into her house to to do a canning class and so now she bought one cow and she's got people this girl's been canning for three years but she has this gift to gab and people fly in to learn how to can fly in one person flew flew in everybody else drove but you know your wine industry your beer industry farm to table stuff like that I'm probably not going to do that I just want to buy cattle but there is a growing trend to provide people with experiences and so I'll, I'll use a little story I was in the local gas station having my cup of coffee with my old curmudgeon buddies and this Hispanic lady would come in every day and we would say hi to her she had a little stand and uh, I says I I'm going to make pico de gallo for a, for a barbecue I'm going to. Um, can you can you help? Yep, yep. So I went over to her stand that afternoon, and I said, yeah, I want to make pico de gallo. Well, she hands me, I don't know, six tomatoes, one onion, this much cilantro. She basically handed me everything I needed for pico de gallo. All I had to do was throw it in the food processor. I didn't. I sat there with a, with a cold beverage and I chopped. I, I get I get itchy hands when I'm in a you know camping. I can't stand camping for 24 hours. But <laughs> give me something to chop, slice, barbecue. There you go. You know, <laughs> pancakes in the morning and and all that stuff. But she handed me everything I needed for pico de gallo and. So I, 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 I think people are looking, you know, can, 
you want to make whatever you want to make with your grandkids if we can gather a package and hand them to you know here you want to make christmas cookies you know here's our flour or here's our honey i see people wanting more little package um, experiences Mm. and so i went off topic there but but that's what that's what i see yeah uh, more more so than just you know a trend in you know grass fed versus grain fed people want to people want the story yeah you know they they like the story actually more than they care about the meat or the price so one of the reasons that some of these grass-fed people have been successful, they hammer the story, right? Yeah. They are constantly hammering the story, but the customer loves it. That's that's the that's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, those those people chasing, uh, you know, doing ramp sorting in an arena, they're never going to be out on the range sorting cattle, but. They, that's an experience they love, and you see generations of them doing it, and, and it's not cheap. So, there, that, I went off, you know, went on a tangent there. But. No, I think that's great, and it's it's those little things that people notice like that that gives, you know, it sparks an idea for somebody. Maybe um, somebody listening that has a beef business, it gives them an idea to put together a little package of like this is your your pack for family game night you know this is what you need stuff like that and that's the stuff we have to be creative about to find like you talked about before that competitive advantage to to find out how to market what you've got right and and so my local butcher shop ran into some financial problems they're like what can we do i says are you offering fajita meat no you know, they they were stuck in the 50s, you know. How do you want your round steak? That's what the stamp was for. Yeah. And I look at some of the other outfits, and, you know, they've got a recipe on the side of their packaging, and they got the nice logo with the stamp. And so we both know Carolyn, and uh, she's got a great website, and they have a beef store. Well, not only, you know, not only are you going in there buying hamburger, she's got honey for sale and she's got all these different uh, rubs and things like that. So if you're starting to farm and again, whether, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to have a produce stand, don't just, hey, here's the tomatoes, have your pico de gallo. And if you're going to do the grass bed or any kind of meat, have the spices ready you know do a little tiktok hey i'm or whatever i'm making whatever your favorite i'm making steak and i'm using this seasoning well you can buy a five gallon bucket of that stuff and get a thousand dollar markup i went to a wedding and their their wedding favors was, was a little deal of rub oh cute Kyle and olivia's rub well you know if if you're gonna be serious about marketing your halves of beef those customers should be getting a little, little deal of rub with your with your nice logo on it. I mean, I see you wearing a Carhartt sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> and and so if you can develop this story, 
here's this great story. I started raising cows with my kids. What can I do? You know, what can I do to service you? So the guy I'm feeding cattle for, I picked him up as a customer selling him a group of Holstein steers 10 years ago on Craigslist. He liked the story. He cares about the kids. Oh, the kid's got a, a show steer. And the same thing. Oh, here's what you need. You know, yeah. You know, you know what that guy wants, the guy that buys the big six steak, he's sitting there with his buddies. He wants to say, Yep, yeah, I bought these from the farmer. This is the rub you use. Seen the guy on, on TikTok, seen the gal on TikTok. So the the opportunities out there but you're going to have to do a better job than trying to compete with Walmart on price and volume. Yeah, definitely. That's a losing game. That's very true. Well, I want to um, give Caroline a quick plug. We've talked about her a little bit here. It's just for my listeners to know, Caroline is a longtime friend of mine. She's up in Montana, and she's actually getting married um, here uh, this this weekend. Did you um, an invite? I did. We aren't going to go. Um, yeah. Nah, yeah. Me off. <laughs> I'll have to tell her that. Um, but Caroline's a longtime friend of mine. She has several businesses in Montana. One of them is the Rancher's Daughter, and that's the retail store that we've been talking about where she sells um, meat and all kinds of different Montana gifts. And then she's also doing a she's a hand ranch camp um for women specifically to come learn cattle handling skills and really excited for all the cool things that she's got coming up she works so hard to create experiences like that for people so really excited for her um well i think I've enjoyed talking to you a lot today, DL, and I would love to wrap up with a question um, that we kind of talked about at the beginning a little bit, and that was the things that you have been doing to be profitable or that you would recommend to folks to be profitable. Okay, so to be profitable, it's not easy. You know, if, if, if you look at the economics of a bottle calf, you know, you're basically, you're, you've got $300 of investment. Well, the bank's only going to give you, what, 60 cents a month on that? So you really can't expect much from your investment. And as far as labor, you're replacing every dairyman's sixth grade kid. So do you really deserve more than $10 an hour for the one hour a week you're feeding calves? So I... We have all these people. You can't make any money on hutch caps or bottle caps. And you're probably right, but now you've got a calf that you can wean and you can turn into a stalker. And that that's a level of, of profit. You know, you might be able to make $100 a head on a stalker. And if you can find a good deal on some pasture, you can make another 100 or $200 turning it into an 800-pound feeder. So as you're starting to farm, you're using these little projects just as a gateway to develop a network, to develop some net worth, to develop some experience, and to develop some, some momentum. Yeah. Right. We need to, we need to have customers. We need to have experience. We need to have knowledge, capital, and we need customers. And how do you, you know, you're not going to fall off a log and have a hundred customers the first day you buy a bottle calf or plant a plant a tomato plant. So you've got to start. You've got to have a little bit of dog in you for 
for finding your your supplies. You know, you got to be willing to shop for an irrigation pump. You got to be willing to shop for grain. And then as you scale up, you're going to lessen your mistakes, and you're going to increase your your ability to buy buy bulk things like that. Mm-hmm. So one thing what. When I got to 10 calves a month, you know, and got to 40 calves below four months, then I could start buying a super sack of grain instead of, of 50 pound sacks. Well, it wasn't a big deal. It was about 200 a month. But let me tell you how important that $200 a month was. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then you get better at the grass. And ultimately, if you're going to do animal livestock, your only chance for any real profit is in grass. Harvesting the sunshine. The sunshine is free. And most of your grass can be a byproduct. Ditch banks, corners, um, cover crops. I mean, you, you've got to just be that guy looking for the side deal constantly. But as a small producer, you know, it doesn't take much to get 40 acres or, uh, you know, land for 40 head of cattle between cover crops, ditch banks. And so I gave a shout out to Caroline because she's easy to find her. It's easy to find her website. And if you go grass farmer Stockman and if you can read Al's, Alan Nations, Al's OBS, he has these little vignettes in there, ways to save money, ways to grow, ways to mindset, but you've got to establish where your byproducts are in your area, got to establish what your competitive advantage is. Um, if you're a vet, you've got a competitive advantage with cattle because you can you know, get discounts on your on your vet work, obviously, but on your vaccines and your knowledge, you should be able to keep more cows alive. Mm-hmm. If you work at the co-op, you should be able to get a discount on some feed. So you got to use every advantage you have, and you you also have to not expect to be paid the same as what you're getting paid uptown. But eventually, through delayed gratification, just like buying a stock, you know, that stock doesn't provide you with any food, shelter, or anything until you sell it or get dividends, but you delay gratification, hoping that grows down the road. And if you can mold this with some of your passions and family time, then you've got a winner. Well, I just really appreciate your... um perspective on getting started in farming and advice to folks to kind of get scrappy about it and figure out what works for them, figure out what makes sense for their lifestyle. Like you said, figuring out what assets they have that they can use to their advantage and then how it kind of lines up with what's important to them. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast here. I know you are working on your website, so we're going to add that to the show notes when it's ready. And until then, folks can find you on TikTok. Is there anywhere else they should look for you as well? Uh, right now, just on TikTok, but I do have a small video coaching series on identifying your market advantages and how to utilize them and mold them together. 
and I'm going to have that uploaded either on YouTube or on Squarespace on my website and I'm going to try to get that done before this drops Lexi. Alright that sounds great well I'll grab that link from you and be sure to include it for folks so they can find it easily. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at farmingonpurpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.